Marcus Paul, almost a public figure. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the mornings, right across Australia. On the iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio apps. The biggest issues. The biggest guess. Marcus Paul in the morning starts now. Good morning to you and welcome to the program. It is Tuesday, the 17th day of May. Marcus Paul in the morning, right around Australia on the iHeartRadio platform. Of course, on TuneIn, live on starterfm.com.au and a little later in the day on the podcast, which we, funnily enough, call the Prawncast. Why? Well, uh, look up. Friendly Geordies. In fact, Jordan's dropped a, a great new video uh, tomorrow, uh, well, uh, yesterday rather. I'm sure he'll have one out tomorrow as well, being a Wednesday, but make sure you check it out. He has a good old crack at Janet Albrechtson. It's great stuff. 0406 521250 is our hotline number. Give us a call anytime, 24-7. If you would like to comment on our Facebook page and share the stories and every all the content we put up there, please feel free to do so. Well, yesterday was a bit of a bun fight over who has the best housing policy. And of course, um, you know, all the usual suspects came out, supported their own team, whether it be red or blue. Uh, look, I personally don't mind either of, uh, of the uh, policies. I probably would lean toward maybe dipping into your super. Yeah, I can't believe I'm saying it myself. Uh, look, I don't know. Just the idea of perhaps the government having a share in, in your property kind of scares me a little. Uh, I understand the uh, the thought pattern behind it. Um, unlike Barnaby Joyce, I don't believe it was uh, concocted on the back of a beer coaster. Anyway, I'll get into Barnaby. Didn't he have a blue yesterday on the uh, television with Tanya Plibersek? I'll play that audio for you soon. It's very funny. Anyway, um, and of course, so Scott Morrison was out and about selling his... Um, you know, dipping into superannuation policy, which effectively means that first home buyers, no matter what their income, can take up to $50,000 out of their superannuation savings and put it towards their first home, so long as they've also saved a 5% deposit. Uh, look, anything uh, that does help people get into the housing market is good, although I do understand, um, you know, the arguments against that saying, well, all it will do is um, immediately push up the price of houses. And we all know already housing affordability is, you know, like living expenses. I mean, you tried to fill your car up in the last couple of days. I mean, thank goodness we are saving 22 cents a litre. Otherwise, most of us would, you know, we'd have to walk to work. It's ridiculously expensive. Anyway, I saw it go up some 34 cents in a couple of weeks. I thought we were going to stay under the $2 mark, given that the fuel excise is, you know, until September, you know, not being collected by the federal government. But no, uh, petrol prices, including the cheap stuff, E10, now sitting over $2, depending on where you buy it here in Australia. Anyway, I'll get into that. The Hawkesbury Mayor, gee whiz, he and his family had a, a scare on Monday morning, early, uh, just before 1am, a bunch of home invaders raided their home uh, in what police believe, and I heard it reported yesterday, was a case of mistaken identity. I'll get into that story for you as well. Uh, we'll hear the latest two on uh, the issue surrounding um, that never-ending saga of Craig McLaughlin. Oh, dear. I, I like a little bit of uh, juicy gossip. Craig uh, says he doesn't involve himself in crass behaviour while he's working with colleagues, but he does, doesn't does mind giving fellatio to a uh, banana, <clears throat> apparently. Oh, 
tell you more about that story soon. If you would like to give us a call anytime, 0406 521 uh, We'll keep you up to date with the latest news, of course, thanks to Air News. Some great tunes, so let's get into it. On this Tuesday morning, it is the 17th. I'll never look at a banana the same way. The 17th day of May. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, Marcus, Paul in the morning, just four days away, of course, from polling day. And there's a bit of a blue going on between, (laughs) wouldn't you guess it, uh, the federal government and the opposition this time around over the AUKUS agreement. Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, suggests Labor may have leaked AUKUS information had it been briefed sooner. All right, well, the PM has denied that Australia broke with the Biden administration when it decided not to consult Labor about its momentous decision to scrap the French submarine program and and unveil an ambitious new plan to build nuclear-powered subs with the UK and the US. Labor has pounced on reports that the Biden administration wanted Scott Morrison and his top minister to brief the opposition about the agreement some five months before the AUKUS announcement in September of last year. Instead, the ALP was only brought into the tents the day before the pact was unveiled. Uh, But yesterday morning, Scott Morrison declared the claim was quote, absolutely false, and suggested that Labor might have leaked information about AUKUS if it was briefed earlier, pointing to a series of meetings between ALP frontbencher Richard Miles and Chinese diplomats. This is one of the most secure and highly confidential agreements the Australian government has entered into since ANZUS, is what the Prime Minister said. I find it passing strange that you think we wouldn't have maintained absolute discretion as we did with so many members of our own cabinet. AUKUS, according to the Prime Minister, is a groundbreaking agreement, the most significant defence security agreement Australia has entered into in over 70 years, and he said he wasn't going to risk that on the Labor Party. Well, Talk about playing politics with national defence. Yesterday morning, opposition leader Anthony Albanese said Labor would not have leaked confidential information about the agreement if if it had been consulted earlier. He took a swipe at Scott Morrison's decision to leak private text messages from French President Emmanuel Macron. Labor laid the foundations for the US alliance during the Second World War when Australia turned to Labor in its darkest hour. We have been supporters of the United States alliance ever since, Albo said. What I haven't done is ever release private text messages between people, let alone between leaders of other countries, which this Prime Minister quite clearly has done. So, Albo, I guess, striking back. Um, The ALP, of course, has thrown its support behind the AUKUS agreement, but has accused the coalition of trying to squeeze political advantage out of the pact by refusing to loop it in the delicate negotiations. Even though Labor could not have been more clear, more decisive or more certain about our support for AUKUS, this Prime Minister has continued to play politics and to suggest that wasn't the case at each and every opportunity. Albo said the problem for this Prime Minister is that he's always looking for a conflict and a division. That's what he feeds off. Well, Scott Morrison did not say exactly what sort of bipartisan consultation the US requested the coalition undertake ahead of the AUKUS announcement, but said the government had absolutely complied with all of the issues that needed to be addressed in forming that partnership. Over the weekend, Defence Minister Peter Dutton made a similar point, saying the deal had gone ahead, would have gone ahead, of course, even if Labor had only been consulted very late in the peace. Um, Defence Minister Peter Dutton said if the United States had conditioned the AUKUS agreement on there being a briefing for the Australian Labor Party, then clearly the deal wouldn't have gone ahead. Really? The federal government also indicated it was always confident that Labor would throw its weight behind the announcement and that its judgment was ultimately vindicated by the ALP's decision to lend its support. 
Well, what do you make of it? Scott Morrison has labelled these claims he misrepresented the deal to the United States as absolutely false. He said he was not going to risk the AUKUS agreements and alliance on Labor, whereas Albo says Labor would never have leaked confidential information about the deal, noting that Prime Minister Scott Morrison, well, couldn't be trusted because he shared text messages uh, that was sent from French President Emmanuel Macron. All right, well, there we go. We're in the thick of it. Just a few days away now from the federal election. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, Marcus Paul in the morning, 0406 That's our hotline. It's open 24-7. You can give us a call. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, most of you, though, prefer uh, to comment on the Facebook page, so keep those comments and likes and all the rest of it coming. We really do appreciate your engagement on the page. Well, I like a good stoush, I do, particularly when Barnaby Joyce is involved. Yesterday, he and Tanya Plibersek faced off on the Sunrise program about the federal election housing policies. And Barnaby, as always, blew up in this fiery exchange with Labor MP Tanya Plibersek and also the host of Sunrise, Natalie Barr, as the government and the opposition go head-to-head, of course, over housing policies. I'll play that audio for you in just a moment. Uh, but it was a little bit embarrassing, I think. Barnaby Joyce has blown up in a an embarrassing, fiery exchange with Labor MP Tanya Plibersek yesterday morning as the government and the opposition go head-to-head over the housing policies. Sunrise host Natalie Barr said she felt sorry for the people of Australia trying to figure out what on earth we are voting for on Saturday after Mr Joyce and Miss Plibersek both failed to answer key questions on the housing policy. It comes after Prime Minister Scott Morrison announced in his official campaign launch on Sunday that first home buyers would be able to access a sensible part of their superannuation to secure their first home. Now, Ms Plibersek said there is a reason John Howard, Peter Costello and Malcolm Turnbull rejected this policy. But Mr Joyce, of course, said it was a better policy than the one Labor had put forward, where the government would pay 40% of the house, provided prospective homebuyers met the income threshold. Now, Mr Joyce put to Ms Plibersek whether that was taxable or gross income, a question she could not answer and instead hit out at the Deputy Prime Minister. Now, Mr Joyce became increasingly frustrated by Ms Plibersek's inability to answer. He basically said, how do you not understand your own policy? Now, Tanya, for her part, said she felt embarrassed that Mr Joyce carries on the way he does. It's not complicated at all, Barnaby. It might be complicated for you. It's pretty simple, actually. Is 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 it taxable income or gross income, Tanya? Just tell me, which one is it? Oh, 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 Barnaby, honestly, you, you are not interested well, which one is it, in helping it's your young policy. Australians Can into you a home of your their policy? own. Can you explain your own policies, it, Tanya? It's your policy. Wow. It's the last week of the election. Is it taxable or gross income, Tanya? No uh, idea. Tanya? Crickets. Barnaby, incredible. This is so, you guys are incredible. So You're just not across your stuff. You are such amateur hour. You are such this, this amateur is, hour. I don't Tanya, know. This is a plan so far for a campaign this is, and not understand your own policy. The, this is Tanya? this is a plan to help ten thousand Australians yeah, Tanya, can you into that a question home of their Barnaby? own. And Barnaby's and, and Tanya? Ba- can you answer is, the question, Tanya? People's income. Tanya, can, can you, you answer that Barnaby, one? This is about don't helping ten thousand people into a home Tanya, of their don't, own. Look, it's complicated. In Everyone's trying to work it out. It's Tanya, it's their, can you answer that it, one? It, it's, their, it's their income. It's their taxable income. I don't know why Ta- it's so complicated for Barnaby. So they're gross <laughs> Okay, income. so if you're... If you're, if you're if someone, their advisor just told her. So if you're on $89,999.99, you're entitled Let's to 40% of the house Barnaby, and how it's going to push prices but up. But if it's $90,000 and, and, and one cent, about, you're not entitled for two cents. The government either buys 40% of your house or not. And you think that's a better policy and, and let's talk than about people with their own money. OK, uh, I think you we've got to, to talk leave about it there. campaign but launch yesterday. Doesn't that sum up... You don't want to talk about campaign launch? Can, can anyone feel sorry about the people of Australia this morning trying to work out what on earth we're voting oh. on on Saturday? Sorry.
<laughs> it's very, I, I very difficult. I feel embarrassed that the Deputy Prime Minister carries on like that. I well, really do. I, the Deputy I feel Prime sorry Minister of Australia. Yeah. There you go, We've got people. to walk into those polling Tanya, booths please. and we have got yeah. to try and work out what on earth we are voting on. Well, of course, the Deputy PM's comments came after Prime Minister Scott Morrison hit back at criticism that by accessing the scheme, young people would lose out on their super. He said it would complement the government's other policy, which incentivises older Australians to downsize in order to open up more homes for young families, a policy the Labor Party actually supports. Labor, of course, does not support Sunday's announcement of the super scheme. Now, Mr Morrison said yesterday, this is a balanced policy which is dealing with increasing supply by supporting downsizing, getting more supply to the market and helping young Australians. But it applies to people at any age when they buy their own home to get access to their own money. He said the Labor Party opposed this because they don't treat super like it's your money. It is your money. You earned it and saved it. This helps people to have a stronger retirement, but at the same time, not miss out on the opportunity to not wait years and years more to buy their first home. It also ensures, says the PM, that by having a bigger deposit, it's reducing your mortgage payments. You could save thousands of dollars a year. Now, while Tanya Plibersek said Mr Howard did not support the policy, Scott Morrison told the Today Show John Howard and Tony Abbott, former Prime Ministers, both backed it in at his launch in Brisbane on Sunday. All right, meanwhile, Deputy Prime Minister Barnaby Joyce has told a Sky News voter event Labor devised their property plan off the back of a, quote, beer coaster. Well... Barnaby, you'd know all about beer coasters. The pub test at Tamworth, New South Wales, saw the Nationals leader answer questions from people from throughout the region and, of course, was hosted by, well, the leader, uh, the lead LNP cheerer from Sky, my mate Paul Murray. (laughs) Mr Joyce attacked Labor's policy for helping low- and middle-income earners buy a house through a Commonwealth equity contribution of up to 40%. For those on a gross income of up to $90,000, what happens if you get divorced? What happens if you get a wage rise? They work this stuff out on the back of a beer coaster, said Barnaby. You've got to believe in this nation, in you owning your house, not in Fidel Castro owning your house. (laughs) Oh, Barnaby. He said building dams, roads and ports was key to support and grow agriculture business across Australia. Well, he's right about that, of course. Now, earlier this year, he co-announced one of Australia's biggest water infrastructure projects in the last two decades at Dungowan, northwest New South Wales, near Tamworth. Already, the dam has faced opposition and reports of major budget blowouts. He said, this is Barnaby Joyce, crazy green bureaucracy was stopping dams being built. You know what? I hear they found a turtle. I thought turtles liked water. And so more water, happier turtles, is what Barnaby said. He's our Deputy Prime Minister. He defended the resources and agriculture industries. He said, you better export as much live sheep as you can. You better keep exporting coal. You better keep exporting gas. You better keep exporting iron ore. You better keep earning money because if the money doesn't come in, it can't go out, said Barnaby Joyce. He said in terms of energy, transition was code for unemployment. Many working in the coal industry were earning well over six figures, which he said was hard to find without a university degree. They don't like the idea of being made poor. So what we've got to do is make sure, first and foremost, we say to them, your job is secure. All right, apparently Clive Palmer also made an appearance on this this LNP Love-In show. Um, He was on the program revealing how he would prompt voters via preferences come election day. Mr Palmer said he would not preference the major parties on his How to Vote cards and would place the other minor freedom parties ahead of them. Mr Palmer said in every state on our preference card there will be no Liberals, no Labor and no Greens. He said this was largely because in the past the two major parties had preferenced each other over the United Australia Party. 
preferences are really just a recommendation anyway, according to old Clive. Oh, God love him. If you want to comment, you can do so on the Facebook page or give us a call anytime. 0406521250. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back. Just getting away from politics for a moment. Uh, we love all the juicy goss that's going on with actor Craig McLaughlin. And this is pretty juicy. At his defamation trial, which is currently being uh, heard in, in Sydney, uh, the actor has admitted to pretending to fillet a piece of fruit and masturbating the arms of colleagues on set while giving evidence on day six of his defamation trial. McLaughlin is suing the ABC, nine newspapers and actress Christy Whelan-Brown over 2018 reports alleging he indecently assaulted, harassed, bullied and exposed himself to female cast members during the 2014 Australian tour of the Rocky Horror Show. Now, McLaughlin denies all claims of sexual harassment and bullying in the stories and says they ruined his reputation and put an end to his acting career. In courts yesterday, the media's barrister, Michael Hodge QC, accused McLaughlin of behaving crassly on set, something he strongly rejected, claiming, I don't use the word crassness in theatre. The 56-year-old was subsequently questioned about a 12-minute blooper reel filmed back in 2014 while McLaughlin was a cast member on the ABC's The Dr. Blake series. Responding to questions from Mr. Hodge, McLaughlin admitted that in the video he is seen pretending to masturbate the arms of the crew and running up and kissing members of the crew. Mr. Hodge also asked, there's another thing you do on set, you do a performance when you have a banana, you pretend to fillet it. <laughs> well, he didn't back away from the claim, yes, Craig McLaughlin responded, and then appeared to deep throat it, Mr. Hodge questioned. <laughs> the banana is already the appropriate shape, but yes, McLaughlin responded, adding that he didn't do it all the time, but it's a joke. I would perform. Now, under questioning, McLaughlin then agreed that this kind of sexual innuendo was brought by him onto the set of the 2014 Rocky Horror Show. Mr. Hodge then suggested McLaughlin manipulated co-star Whelan Brown into apologising for not congratulating him on being nominated for a 2014 Helpman Award. McLaughlin told the court he was confused by her lack of public congratulations because, quote, we were friends. Now, the jury heard that during this period, McLaughlin emailed the show's director, Christopher Lunscombe, referring to Miss Whelan Brown as a horror, while also texting Whelan Brown, I've always supported you. Hodge suggested this was evidence of manipulation, a suggestion McLaughlin denied. Now, uh, the whole thing is getting murkier by the day. The defamation trial is expected to run for another four weeks and we'll hear from 11 women who have accused McLaughlin of inappropriate behaviour. All right, well, we'll watch this space. So, he's rejected accusations that he had behaved crassly on set. Well, I don't know, if you're pretending to fillet a banana, that's pretty crass, isn't it? You know, that's that blooper reel filmed in 2014 shows him pretending to masturbate as well in the arms of crew. I mean, that's a little crass. Anyway, he was also, as I said, accused of manipulating a co-star into apologising for not congratulating him on being nominated for an award. Oh, these actors, eh? Anyway, uh, the defo trial of Craig McLaughlin continues. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning. 0406521250. That's our hotline. It's open 24-7. If you want to send a text to us, you can do so or give us a call. Well, we know rainfall and flood records have tumbled across the northern rivers, which has left its agriculture sector devastated and with a recovery that is far from over. 
A lack of sunshine and repeated flooding has hampered efforts in the 10 weeks since the region was first smashed in early March. Now, the winter outlook apparently is bleak for livestock owners and crop growers who are struggling with waterlogged pastures, paddocks and plantations. Lismore-based vet Dr Bruno Ross said predictions of a wet winter meant the worst was yet to come. Dr Ross said yesterday we still have dire situations on some farms where cattle are short of feed. They're now cold, standing in mud, and producers are trying to find adjustment to send them away to. Calves are really doing it tough and starting to get pneumonia, the dairy farms in particular. Well, that's no good. Cattle's feet couldn't stand being saturated and then walking on gravel laneways. They get lame. They get abscesses. Now, Dr Ross said the state's agriculture minister, Dougal Saunders, was apparently unaware of the situation. The problem is it starts right from the very top, Dr Ross said. The Ag Minister, Dougal Saunders, is completely clueless as to what is going on, and that is the actual problem, he said. He said the people making decisions on agriculture didn't understand people's circumstances in regional areas. Well, I mean, Dougal Saunders is from the Central West. Uh, Dougal is out there in Dubbo. Now, I would have thought he would understand it. Anyway, he said eligibility for disaster recovery grants is another concern. Their default seems to be a process of elimination and to wear people down, whether it's small business applicants, farmer applicants, they try to wear people down to just send them packing, Dr Ross said. Now, Dougal Saunders defended the government's response and said 820 of the 2,500 applications for $75,000 grants had been processed. It's an average of 21 days to turn that around and get that money in the bank, so it's come down since the peak in March, according to the Minister. He said there was no magic solution. He went on to say what we're trying to do is provide a bit of assistance to allow people to get back into their normal routine, and that sometimes takes much longer than people want. The reality is you can't always fix that. It's Mother Nature at its best and worst and sometimes impacts people's lives in the biggest possible way, said the Minister, the Agriculture Minister of New South Wales, Dougal Saunders. Meanwhile, um, the nut industry is doing it tough as well. More than $21 million in macadamias alone have been lost, according to the ABC. The macadamia industry has already calculated the season's losses. Australian Macadamia Society CEO, Joylyn Burnett, told Artie the loss of some 5,590 tonnes of nuts will result in more than $21 being wiped off the value of the national crop. He said that equated to a 10% reduction in the crop which was initially forecast at a record 55,000 tonnes nut in shell. Now, at $3.80 or $4, there's not a lot of margin for the grower left, particularly with rapidly increasing prices for fuel, fertiliser, chemicals maintenance and repair, and purchase of farm equipment. While harvest is well underway in places like Bundaberg, farmers in the northern rivers are struggling to get machinery onto orchids to start, of course, because of recent heavy rainfall and soggy grounds, I understand that. The longer their nut stays on the ground, the lower the quality is likely to be. All right, well, uh, apparently farmers have also told the ABC they feel voiceless. Clarence Valley Food Chair Deborah Novak said she wanted affected farmers and fishermen to have a dedicated hearing at the New South Wales Independent Flood Inquiry. Miss Novak said the $3.4 billion flood damage bill calculated by the Insurance Council of Australia could be doubled once impacts on the rural sector were fully realised. 
She said yesterday we've got at least 65 communities in the Northern Rivers. Those haven't had all the impacts done yet. So even your bee, your soybean, your beef, your sugarcane, those figures aren't in yet. Now, Miss Novak said those sectors had lost millions of dollars worth of crops, cattle, infrastructure and also machinery. She said a lot of our farmers always say that others are worse off than themselves. Whereas this time, I'm sorry, no, there are just as many worse off with them because they're struggling. They're in a lot of dire situations. She also said, how do we support them through this trauma? Because it's trauma that they're experiencing on the back of bushfires, on the back of another flood, on the back of drought. Yeah, well, look, they've done it extremely tough, haven't they? Severe weather and flooding has wiped out more than $20 million of macadamia nuts alone, and calls are being made for the New South Wales Parliamentary Flood Inquiry to hold a dedicated forum for farmers. While that Lismore doc, uh, or vet, Dr Ross, confirmed yesterday that paddocks remain waterlogged and livestock owners are struggling right now to find feed. Yeah, what's the federal government promising? We've got an election in the wind. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, welcome back. Now, regular listeners and followers uh, of the program, Marcus Paul in the morning would know that we, we don't normally incorporate a lot of sport unless it's a big story like the, the loss of a sporting icon, uh, which... We told you about yesterday with the sudden and tragic death of former Australian cricketer Andrew Simons. Yesterday, uh, there were more accolades and more tributes pouring in from right across the cricketing world. Uh, We learnt a little bit more as well about Andrew's uh, circumstances surrounding his death. Anyway, I won't dwell on that, um, but a bit of rugby league news. Yeah, don't often talk about the rugby, <laughs> the league. I'm a, a Raiders fan, as uh, regular listeners and followers would know, although I have to say um, I kind of lost a little bit of interest um, after, in my mind, we were ripped off in that grand final with the six again call and the Roosters won and all that sort of stuff. It, you know, <laughs> kind of scared me off the game for a bit. Anyway... Uh, The Raiders, they're they're okay at the moment, Um, travelling well, a lot better than the poor old Bulldogs. Now, Trent Barrett is the Bulldogs coach. Well, up until yesterday was, he was coach of the Bulldogs in 2021 last year and up until yesterday for 2022. He coached 34 first grade games, but he only won five. And unfortunately, last year... The Bulldogs ran, what, dead last, with only three wins in the entire season. And this year, they're not doing much better. They've only had two wins, and they also sit dead last on the ladder. So, someone had to go. Trent Barrett, the coach, has stood down as head of the Bulldogs. The club announced the decision. Well, I suppose him standing down means they don't have to sack him because I heard they were going to. The club announced the decision yesterday morning after a meeting on Sunday night to decide the fate of the coach. Uh, A statement read, as this is a challenging time for all parties, the club would like to respect Trent's privacy and wish him all the best for the future. The club had a win and two close losses to start the year before a 44-0 thumping at the hands of Manly began a run of four defeats of 20 points or more that ramped up the pressure on the coach and his side. Now, the Bulldogs' most recent win came in round eight with a 16-12 victory over the Roosters. That was a bit of an upset. The victory followed an unorthodox intervention by the club's general manager of football, Phil Gould, to take over Bulldogs training. The move raised further questions about Trent Barrett's future. He denied claims he was being undermined by Gould at Canterbury, declaring the Bulldogs players know who the coach is. 
His resignation followed a 16-6 loss to Newcastle at Lang Park during the Magic Round when the Knights ended a seven-game losing streak. They're doing pretty poorly as well. Anyway, Barrett's departure comes despite an expensive recruitment drive that has included the additions of players like Josh Adokar, Matt Burton, Tavita Pangai, Matt Dufty and Paul Vaughan. So they've spent up big, but they're still not producing any results. It's unclear who will be the coaches uh, in the coaches' seat for this Friday's game against the West Tigers, but assistant coach David Ferner or New South Wales Cup coach Michael Potter loom as the most likely candidates to take over in the short term. Longer-term options are thought to be headed by Premiership-winning duo Paul Green and Shane Flanagan, whose son Kyle is also on the Bulldogs' books. All right, well, we'll, you know, watch this space, as they say. I thought it was worth mentioning. Um, You know, it's always terrible when a coach goes mid-season. And Trent Barrett was a wonderful footballer when he, he, you know, ploughed his trade for the uh, St. George Illawarra Dragons. Played very well. But unfortunately, his coaching record doesn't match his on-field performance as a player. Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, um, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning. It is a Tuesday, the 17th day of May. And in big international news in the last 24 hours, Chinese President Xi Jinping has reportedly suffered a brain aneurysm as he faces a coup over COVID lockdowns. Well, there we go. He's reportedly suffering from a deadly health scare as the 68-year-old faces a coup over China's devastating lockdowns. The 68-year-old reportedly wanted to be treated with traditional medicine rather than undergo major surgery after he was rushed to hospital, according to The Sun newspaper. Oh dear, oh dear, what's wrong with him? Uh, We're talking about your brain here, mate. Uh, I'm sorry, but traditional medicine just ain't gonna work. He is thought to have been rushed to hospital at the end of last year after doctors spotted a bulging blood vessel in his brain. It's according to one news agency. For years, the state of Xi Jinping's health has been swirling with fresh speculation sparked by his unexplained absence from the Beijing Winter Olympics. In March 2019, during a visit to Italy and France, the Chinese leader was spotted with a noticeable limp and needed help while trying to sit down and addressing the public in Shenzhen province. In October 2020, at the height of the COVID pandemic, observers noted his slow speech and coughing. It comes as fears of a coup over the president's extreme COVID lockdown measures have also been mounting. China's zero COVID policy has included some of the world's most draconian social distancing measures, including entire buildings sealed off, even if only one case has been recorded, as those who test positive are shipped off to horror quarantine camps. Meanwhile, small businesses have suffered under the brutal strategy with 4.37 million closing in China, while only 1.32 million new ones have been registered, according to a business data and investigation platform in the communist country. Experts have already claimed Xi Jinping could be ousted by rivals fed up with the country's regime within the next 18 months. Well, there we go. We'll have to watch this space. Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, I think the New South Wales government is panicking a little over the increase in gang violence or underworld hits uh, that have occurred in, uh, in Sydney. I heard there were some ridiculous amount of deaths in the last six months alone. Anyway, I'll get to that detail, but a a new super task force has been formed by New South Wales Police to fight the gangland war in Sydney Southwest. There we go. It's claimed 13 lives in 18 months. Senior police met over the weekend after the execution of Rami Iskander on Saturday morning, the third murder inside a four-week period. 
and they decided on a new strategy, bringing federal police and intelligence into the fight against gang violence. Um, Assistant Commissioner Michael Fitzgerald, who's head of the New South Wales State Crime Squad, said these public acts of violence are dangerous and while they are targeted, regardless of who their victim is, it will not be tolerated. It only takes one stray bullet to injure or kill an innocent person. Police will not back down. We will continue to target anyone who shows a blatant disregard for community safety. Now, Mr Fitzgerald said Task Force Erebus would have sweeping briefs to investigate the circumstances and links between the fatal shootings, other acts of violence, the importation and supply of prohibited drugs, illicit firearm supply, coordinated theft of vehicles and various other criminal activities. Erebus builds on the information and leads already gathered by investigators and ensures they have the resources to keep targeting and putting pressure on these criminal groups. On April the 27th, Major Sydney crime finger Mahmoud Brownie Armoured, as you know, was executed outside a home at Greenacre, with some believing it was carried out by the Alamadine family, who have joined forces with the Common Chiro bikers. Wow, there we go. Police are investigating whether someone linked to the Armoured family may have been behind last week's shooting of Comanchero bikey boss Tarek Zahid and the death of his brother Omar in retaliation for Brownie's death. In the following days, as we know, Rami Iskander told friends he was being wrongly blamed with being involved in the hit and was worried about his safety. Iskander, while a member of the family, was not a known heavy in the underworld and told friends he had nothing to do with the hit. Through their lawyer, Hisham Karnib, the Armoured family also denied any of their family or associates were behind the shooting of the Zahid brothers and said they wanted privacy while they dealt with the tragedies. While the new task force will be led by New South Wales Police, they will enlist the resources of the New South Wales Crime Commission, the Australian Criminal Intelligence Commission and the Australian Federal Police. Since October 2021, operations involving State Crime Command and Southwest Metropolitan Region have already led to the arrest of more than 260 people, that's a lot, and more than 840 charges have been laid. So, I mean, they've been doing work, but sadly, the, uh, the murders, the underworld hits continue. It's also led to the seizure of, well, a lot of firearms, nearly 70 of them. 3,000 rounds of ammunition have been confiscated, $2.5 million worth of cash, and drugs as well have been seized worth more than $4 bucks. The new task force will be headed by Director of Crime Operations, Detective Chief Superintendent Darren Bennett. Now, Detective Bennett yesterday said to the media, we know the victims in these crimes associated in similar circles, and this task force allows for centralised examination of how those connections relate to the shootings and possible motivations. All right, well, one of the guns used to kill Comanchero bikey Omar Zahid and critically wound his brother Tarek appears to have been converted into a machine gun pistol. Goodness sake. Police recovered a Glock from a burnt-out car suspected of being used in the double hit at an Auburn gym last Wednesday night. A number of weapons experts contacted the media after citing an adapter on the gun following the weapon's appearance on television and in photos in the paper. A former Sydney Underworld gun dealer said he was positive the weapon police seized had a so-called converter on it. You can see this switch. It means a Glock can expend an entire magazine at 1,200 or 1,000 rounds per minute depending on which one you fit. Jesus. With the Glocks, you can also buy magazines online which hold up to 50 rounds, which can be shot in less than a cell. Oh, dear, oh, dear. New South Wales Police confirmed they had seized a weapon which was now being ballistically examined, but, of course, at this stage, they will not comment on whether an adapter had been fitted to the firearm. Witnesses at the gym where the brothers were ambushed 
reported hearing 20 shots in 20 seconds. And of course, Tariq Zahid was hit 10 times. I mean, to hit someone 10 times, shooting them with a semi-automatic takes a lot more time. With a weapon converted to fully automatic, it happens in one squeeze. So that's why a lot of people believe perhaps that a converter has been added to the alleged, well, to uh, the alleged weapon used in the double hit. All right, well, there we go. You, by the way, I, you know, it was in the paper, so I guess I can mention it. Converters, which are often referred to by gun enthusiasts as auto sears, well, they sell on the black market in Sydney for as little as $1,500. They are not illegal on their own, but once you fit them to a weapon they are, so dealers do not want to be seen selling them openly. They've been around since the 70s. The switch or add-on to the weapon is the most common automatic conversion device and is particularly popular in, you guessed it, the United States of America. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning, 0406521250. Don't forget our mate Jordan Shanks, a.k.a. Friendly Geordies, has dropped another brilliant, brilliant video. The most hypocritical journalist in Australia, the journalist who wants me arrested. Uh, it's brilliant stuff. Um, Geordies unloads on, well, the Institute of Public Affairs, um, the puppet, for the LNP and Murdoch Press, Janet Albrechtson. Make sure you check it out if you haven't already. A link on our Facebook page as well. Okay, um, this was a disturbing story. The mayor of Hawkesbury City Council has been stabbed during a terrifying home invasion at his home near Windsor. Patrick Connolly was attacked when up to six intruders broke into his Bly Park home at around a quarter to one on Monday morning. The 32-year-old was hospitalised after being stabbed in his arm. His wife and four children were inside at the time. Fortunately, though, they were unharmed. Now, New South Wales police say the attackers then fled in the family car. Uh, they believe it was quite possibly a case of mistaken identity. A spokesperson from New South Wales Police said they're investigating after a man was stabbed in the arm after a reported home invasion near Windsor. Officers from Hawkesbury Police Area Command were called to a Porpoise Crescent home in Bly Park at around 12.45am on Monday. In response to reports, several men had forced their way into the home. Police found a 32-year-old man with a stab wound to his left upper arm. He was treated at the scene before being taken to Westmead Hospital in a stable condition. Uh, police have been told five to six men forced their way into the home and threatened the male occupant before he was stabbed. The men then left the scene in the family's white Skoda, with a few personal items. Now, they're appealing for anyone with information, closed circuit TV or dash cam footage to contact them. That's police or crime stoppers, 1-800-333-000. Now, Connolly, who's a pretty popular mayor in the Hawkesbury, was re-elected unopposed as mayor earlier this year in January, following the local government elections, of course, held in December 2021. Uh, Mr Connolly, as the mayor said, as mayor, I intend to continue to build on the great work this council has achieved during my previous term. My priority will be continuing to make council an organisation that is focused on its customers, our ratepayers and residents. I've always believed the council is first and foremost a service provider. He went on to say our job is to make sure we're delivering the services that people want and that we're delivering them to a good quality and that we're doing our best to make the Hawkesbury a great place to live and work. Anyway, I hope that uh, he recovers quickly and it, it would have been a horrifying situation. Apparently one of his children escaped, uh, one or in fact both of them I think, escaped through a window in the house. They were so terrified. Dear oh dearie me. Okay, well... It's a horrific story, and we wish the Mayor of Hawkesbury City Council, Patrick Connolly, all the best in his recovery. Marcus Paul in the morning. 
Okay, Marcus, Paul in the morning. Welcome back. The 17th day of May. It's Tuesday. I I saw with interest um, that there's a new fine for retailers who sell illegal e-cigarettes. You know, those vapes. The fine is quite big, 55 grand. Well, more than a million dollars worth of illegal e-cigarettes and liquids containing nicotine have been seized in the state this year alone. New South Wales Health has seized more than $3 million of the banned products since July 2020. Chief Health Officer Dr Kerry Chant said retailers were being put on notice if they were selling the contraband. She said yesterday we're cracking down on the illegal sale of nicotine e-cigarettes and liquids and we're taking a zero-tolerance approach to those who sell them. New South Wales Health regularly conducts raids on retailers across the state to protect young people from these harmful devices. You will be caught, she says. Illegal items will be seized and you could face prosecution resulting in being fined or even jailed. Uh, Finally, she adds, the harmful impacts of vaping on young people cannot be underestimated. People think they are simply flavoured water, but in reality, in many cases, they are ingesting poisonous chemicals that can cause life-threatening injuries. Well, since October 2021, products containing nicotine, of course, are now only available for people over the age of 18 when prescribed by a medical practitioner for smoking cessation purposes. In other words, they're trying to quit. Uh, From an Australian pharmacy, of course, or via importation into Australia with a valid prescription. For all other retailers in New South Wales... The sale of e-cigarettes or e-liquids containing nicotine is illegal. The curb on illegal nicotine sales extends to online shops with the maximum penalty of $1,650 per offence, six months in prison or both. Now, selling to minors also comes with hefty fines for individuals up to $11,000 for a first offence and up to Wow, 55 grand for a second or subsequent offence, and for corporations, up to 55 grand for a first offence, and up to $110,000 for a second or subsequent offence. The Alcohol and Drug Foundation says around 14% of 12 to 17 year olds across the country have tried an e cigarette, with around 32% of those students using one in the past month alone. Around 12% of students reported buying an e-cigarette themselves. Well, what do you make of it? Let me know. 0406 521250 on our hotline or leave your comments on the Facebook page. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, well, that's it for this morning's program. Uh, Thank you for your company here on starterfm.com.au on the iHeartRadio platform and tune in. And, of course, if you're listening back to the podcast, as I ask you each and every day, please feel free to use the share button, hit it, and share on your social media for us. 0406521250 is the hotline number if you would like to send us a message, uh, leave us a, a voicemail, whatever you would like to do, that'd be great. And of course, continue to comment on the Facebook page. We'll be back tomorrow morning around Australia between 7 and 9. Marcus Paul in the morning. Enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs> All right, mate, this will get you the goodie.